Hello, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset, the Rugby World Cup edition. I think the number three, it's Sam Bruce coming in to you from Leon. We've got Christy Dora just down the road in St. Etienne, back on his uh, beautiful balcony in the glorious afternoon sunshine. And probably about the highlight of today, actually, uh, in France from an Australian perspective, Christy's this glorious French weather. Uh, welcome back to you, mate. Um, I know it was a long night for both of us. Uh, we're going to unpick and unpack that Wallabies performance last night and, and just what that means for the game going forward. Um, but, mate, first of all, how are you? And um, how has the day been? You know that song, Hello Darkness? Hello Darkness, mate. Hello, Red. I kind of, I had to put myself on this balcony just now to get some sun rays because it's been a, it's probably been a very dark day and dark chapter, dark few weeks in Australian rugby history and the events of the last 24 hours, particularly when it's such a sobering result, 40 to 6, humiliating in front of Wales, in front of the watching world with all the English media there. And they've, they've rallied because, as Eddie Jones said on Friday at the team hotel, they smell blood and that's why they've come. And that's what it felt like and how much more blood will be spilt will be fascinating. But it's a terrible result in Australian rugby's history. Uh, the Wallabies to miss out on the quarterfinals for the first time in 10 tournaments. It certainly is. I think it goes beyond that too. It's a, you know, a disgraceful result for an Australian sport full stop, right? Like this is a code that um, Australia has got such rich history in um, dating back to the turn of the last century. Um, you think about the players who were well on the jersey over the years have toured who... Um, one series here, there, and everywhere. Won two World Cups, clearly. Uh, British and Irish Lions series in 2001. And you, you reflect on all those those good times. Um, and then you compare that, you contrast it with what happened um, at Group Armour Stadium here in Lyon last night. And, and even considering, as you mentioned, the past few weeks, even the past few years beyond that, some of the things that have gone on in the game, and we kind of felt that, you know, that may have been rock bottom previously, but waking up this morning kind of felt like new levels of despair. Now, you and I, we take an objective view clearly. So um, our emotional engagement or investment may be tempered somewhat. So I can only, you know, um, imagine what the feeling was for people going to work back at home on Monday morning. Uh, having got up to watch that or, or flicked on, you know, potentially the last half of hour um, as you're getting ready to, to go to work and just the utter objectivity, the despair, um, the feeling that, you know, maybe this time you can't defend it. You just can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, given not only that performance, but also the remarkable buildup in the 12 hours beforehand, which we will come to shortly. It's just got to be a feeling of utter devastation, right? Yeah, and the amount of... I'm sure your phone would have been lighting up as well, but the amount of people from all across the rugby landscape that was angered by the result, and you could see it with the fans that were leaving the ground at 10 minutes to go, and it was 20 minutes to go, Eddie Jones is covering his mouth, and it just his hands kept on going further and higher up his up his face and it almost engulfed his eyes at one point in time it was a horror show and there's no other way to describe it what are the ramifications 
will be fascinating because you've got the states that are up in arms because they've been over the, the reason why Rugby Australia managed to post and trumpet a, 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 a lawsuit over the last 12 months is because they'd taken $1.7 million from each of the five Super Rugby franchises and it works out perfectly to have that, that profit, which is what they declared and, and said that they'd managed to get the budget back on track and things are on the app. But the Super Rugby sides have been struggling. The states are struggling. Some aren't 100% entirely on board with centralisation. Others are absolutely needing it, like the Waratahs, which are in close to insolvency once again. Uh, the Brumbies are fearful that they'll lose their Super Rugby franchise. The Reds feel like for the first time in years they're you know, in a position of power uh, with Ballymore and being able to have games there. Um, and you put it all together and then the one thing that they really need is a Wallaby side, which is which is uh, firing. And, and on the world's biggest stage, the World Cup, every four years they go out and deliver that with the Rugby Australia chairman, that brazenly fared well, or David, uh, Dave Rennie earlier in the year, the parachute, and Eddie Jones, who's the most provocative figure in, in world rugby, um, who's who's at times got on the wrong side of journalists recently, give yourself some uppercut skies to telling countries that their economies are going to sink uh, if they lose the Bledisloe Cups, um, to boldly declaring you know, less than 72 hours that ago that, I'm entirely confident that we'll beat Wales this weekend. So uh, you put it all together and and it's a lot of anger. And I probably have a different take on on what will occur, maybe to you and perhaps other people, but we'll unpick that more and more. For sure, for sure. Uh, and well kind of round out there. There's plenty going on across the game. I, I was um, got talking to a fella just as I took a breather today, um, going out to get probably my 45th baguette of the trip a little uh sa salmon cream cheese and and uh cucumber number um from um uh boulangerie mate that i don't think you and i walked past the other day on our um here there and everywhere trip of between two rivers here in leon um but just getting a sense of some of the stuff that he was talking about as well uh, he was involved in in queensland rugby and the challenges they've got and um the butting heads that's going on um, with clubs and state unions and trying to get, um, you know, keep players in the game, keep players, women's players from rugby league, the NRLW and, and different spaces like that. And that all gets swept up in that result last night, doesn't it? And, and this is the thing that, you know, we know, we understand that the Wallabies essentially um, fund the game. Um that they, that Australian rugby is, you know, largely relying on, on that team, um, being, having at least, uh, some semblance of success. Now this year, after that defeat last night, it's now one and seven under, under Eddie Jones, um, in eight games this year, five leading up to the world cup and now three, two pool defeats and a, an Apache performance against Georgia is his only win since his return. It, it, it's just. I, I, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. I, I seriously, I was, I was thinking about how we were gonna, you know, get into this on this pod today. But you, you can't, I guess, understate um, the knock-on effects of, of that result last night. No, and as and it goes further for broadcast dollars to sponsorship revenue to uh, now they're, they're they're going very much to a path of debt rather than private equity. But 
who would want to invest in a game that continues to nosedive? The Wallabies and Rugby Australia, uh, people really heralded the, the the broadcast deal that was done in 2020 to allow for a more of a free-to-air component. But the reality is that they were getting $29 million a year, which is nothing. A few extra million in contra, which is basically um, pays for a bit more uh, newspaper space. Advertising. Yeah. Advertising across the Australian landscape. But $29 million compared to 45 only in the in the in the five year cycle before that, that's a horrific result. And a result like what we've just experienced at the World Cup will you would think well why would a broadcaster want to pay big dollar when well, the sides are going de- to lose? De- devalues it further, right? Absolutely. So that means there's a knock on effect in terms of well, there's less money to attract players, to keep players, keep the wool skeletons in the game. Uh, pay for for women's rugby, invest in women's rugby, invest in the grassroots, invest in more uh, rugby, um, uh, more more scouts and more people to kind of tap into the age groups between 13 and 17 because that's such an area that Australian rugby needs to heavily invest in so that they can identify the talent coming through. Good players and, and and ensure that the next generation of Wallabies actually know who the Wallabies are because there's a lack of understanding of who any of these players are. Yeah, yeah, a, a, agreed. I think if you um, went and, you know, um, took a Wallaby into a um, year six, year five, kindergarten, year two, year one, even, you know, senior school, um, they might think that they're a substitute teacher for the day if they weren't in, in any kit, right? That's there's that lack of lack of recognition and um you know there's probably every kids might have seen a few news bulletins of some fairly sorry faces last night in leon and there were plenty of tears around the place and you couldn't help but feel sorry for them no one's you know questioning um the commitment of the players i i think that's that's number one um you and i have dealt with them and i can certainly compare um the past world cup in, in 2019 when there were some players in that team that were behaving like school children throughout at different points throughout that tournament. Um, and we know uh, about the infighting divisions in that team at the time and, and how that came out afterwards. But, you know, there's, there's young kids in this team just starting out their careers. There's guys sort of three or four years into, into test rugby have been through the COVID period and, you know, um, everyone did it tough throughout the pandemic. We know that, but these were guys who, you know, had time in, in isolation and, um, starting their careers, your you Fraser McRights, your you Valentinis, I guess, at that point as well. And I think, you know, you, you can't help but just feel feel gutted for them, number one. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're well-paid professionals and, and last night wasn't good enough. So let, let's let's go into the game then, mate. And, and just right from the outset, um, I don't know what it was, seven... 10, 11, 12 seconds after the opening whistle and, and Dave Parecki is penalised for, for not rolling away. And, you know, that was virtually the, the beginning of the end. Yeah, it was a death by a thousand cuts, wasn't it? Because there was not a single element of the game that the Wallabies succeeded at. And it was funny, you, well, it wasn't funny, but it was bluntly and blatantly put by Richie Arnold afterwards when he was asked you know, what kind of went wrong. And he said, well, what the F didn't go wrong? And, and you know, for... Jeremy, you don't mind actually hearing that colourful language and 
someone being so direct about it. But he's not wrong because from both the kick restarts going out to general field kicks going out to drop balls to poor decision-making when line breaks occur um, to falling off tackles from the opening one with uh, Jack Morgan going through, slicing through um, Ben Donaldson's missed tackle to the restarts in both the the opening play of the game to being held up and then uh, losing a ball to start the second half to scrum collapses to scum wheeling around uh, to the line-out failure of execution. It was a calamity of errors there. When you turn down three points, and at the time it would have narrowed the margin to a one-point game, you turn down three, you kick the corner, and you don't even get a jumper up because you stumble at the front. It, this was uh, an embarrassing look that summed up the car crash which has been Australian rugby this year. Yeah, Big Richie, um, he told that one to me. There was no sugar coating it. And again, you know, he, he aimed up, he, he answered questions. Um, I, I tip my hat to him um, for doing that. But you're right, he was, he said, what the, didn't go wrong. Um, those were his words. And he was absolutely right. And, and you know, the line out there, the farcical line out, um, I mean, I was kind of just, tapping away, making some notes at the time. So I half missed it to start with and then caught a replay. And, you know, like that is, it's not even schoolboy stuff. That, that, that is, that was proper Benny Hill. My old man described it, I think today's faulty towers kind of, you know, <laughs> the levels of, um, ridiculousness. Um, you may as well have had Manuel the waiter there, um, calling a line out or, or being hoisted up at two or four. Um, it was just a, Calamity, a catastrophe. Yeah, no matter what word you use, there was there was some parts of that match that you know weren't even shoot shield level. No, there was some big decisions that were made pre-game. One of which was Ben Donaldson back at ten, Andrew Callaway at fullback. Uh, clearly, Will Skelton. We spoke to him earlier today. Uh, wasn't fit and available. Nor was Taniola Tupo. Those the, the absence of those two was almighty over the last fortnight. But Ben Donaldson started the campaign. Uh, many people thought, why is he there? He started the campaign by taking man of the match honours. He struggled, didn't he, last night with the biggest game, returning to the 10 jersey. He, he's, uh, not, he's not a test match, number 10. I, I think that is that is clear at the moment. If he's going to play at test level, he, he's going to be a fullback because... He he just I I just don't think he's up to it. Well, he 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 did fall off that tackle, and I people said why are you harping on about a couple of the missed tackles that he made against Georgia. He stood up superbly, I thought, against uh, Fiji defensively a week later, and even to a breakdown panel where you, which I just couldn't believe at the time, uh, having seen that. But that that was a. Wales got out of the box very quickly, and that's where the Wallabies wanted to and needed to yesterday. And to be 7-0 behind after three minutes, Dan Bigger slotting that. And the fact that Dan Bigger goes off inside the first 15 minutes of the game and you lose nothing by a Gareth Eskam coming on just showed where it's at because Ben Donaldson's replaced around the 53-minute mark uh, in the second half, clearly. Carter Gordon is his replacement. And I just saw it going up at halftime and I had to uh, get some more water. And, and 
going up in the half time. I thought, how the heck, and I even thought this pre-game, how the heck do you bring a Carter Gordon into the game if the Wallabies are struggling here? A guy that you've just demoted back to the bench, a guy that you've stripped away the goal-kicking duties, and then you're asking him to inspire a Wallabies comeback. It, 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 it seems like it was the wrong selection uh, and that was probably a theme of Eddie Jones's uh, both his on-field selection, but also his coaching selection and his assistance right the way through this year. And this is one of the the points that people have been making, isn't it? That what what are going to be the mental scars for these young players that that Eddie Jones has taken away and has thrown into? You got this policy of youth twenty twenty seven work backwards. The start of the cycle, we've heard it all. We've spoken about it ad nauseum, but. I mean, these guys are going to go home now. Um, they're probably going to want to hide away, um, I imagine, before they get back into their, their Super Rugby seasons next year uh, and they try and pick up the pieces. And, you know, I, I, who knows what situation we might see in terms of a, a coaching um, team, a, a head coach at the Wallabies. Um, it's very much a watch this space for um, certainly this week and beyond. But... Um, like this has got to be some lasting head noise for for these players who um, have now in two weeks running uh, suffered a first ever sorry a first defeat by a Fiji in sixty nine years, and then in all likelihood barring um, miracles from Georgia and Portugal over the next two weeks, um, a first ever pool stage at the Rugby World Cup in in ten editions of the tournament, and and as I said on this podcast last week that that is just an unacceptable new low for an Australia for Australian rugby. Um, it's going to take some time for these guys to shake this off. Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, Carter Gordon, everyone that speaks about him, that knows him, that coaches him or, or plays alongside him says that he's got a good head on his shoulders, that he's a resilient guy, that he'll be fine. That'll be interesting to know how he responds. I think the good thing is he's going to return to a Rebels environment which trusts him, backs him, knows him. And and they've actually seen knitting proof a guy that struggled at super rugby level to begin with, uh, went away, was dropped, got better. And and perhaps that same thing occurs with Australian rugby, uh, sorry, with the Wallabies. Um, I, I asked Eddie Jones uh, when he was kind of making his argument uh, that, that we've got to go with you. you know, I said, oh, what is the ramifications if, you know, the, the psychological, uh, I asked this following the Fiji defeat, if, if, you know, the experience that they get is a negative one, what is the psychological damage for these guys? And he said, look, I'm, I'll wear that if that happens, but I think this is the right decision. So the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see how these guys respond. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson got hammered in his first tour uh, away from the United Kingdom back in 98. Of course, the the, the, the English side hammered by the Wallabies in, in Brisbane. They went and then got smoked in New Zealand too. And five years later, he wins the World Cup. So that is what they'll be hoping for, is something like that can occur, that the base of these guys can go in and then form an established team for the Wallabies, which is what Eddie Jones continues to maintain. The question is, is whether or not he's going to be part of that future, um, whether or not he's going to be allowed to be part of that future and whether or not he should be part of that future. What, what's your opinion on that, Sam? Well, well, let's add in a bit of context here, Christy, to start with, potentially. I'm sure, you know, most people who listen to this podcast or for the first time will be aware of the report that came uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald on Sunday morning Australian time from colleague. Tom Deason. Um, now, you and I were speaking to Tom about this at length yesterday 
um, a fantastic bit of journalism um, from Tommy um, swears uh, to hell in high water that this is a hundred percent legitimate. Um, gave us a little bit more background on on just the work that had gone into making sure it was um, had its you know eyes dotted and t's crossed etc. In terms of sourcing, um, the lawyers had been through it, um, and that he, as he posted on Twitter, um, stands by it and that it is one hundred percent correct. Of course, it alleges that Eddie Jones has um, taken uh, meetings with the Japanese Rugby Football Union about replacing Jamie Joseph as Bray Blossom's coach and returning to the role he last held in in 2015. Now, most people also will have seen the press conference um, last night where Jones said, um, I'm committed to coaching Australia, but then when pushed on it um, as to for next year, 2024, didn't actually specify that or confirm that. So... Look, uh, a, a lot of people will think that there's smoke um, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and, and I tend to think that, you know, having spoken with Tom about it, as I said, that this is um, this is on the money. Now, if he, if it is proven um, beyond, you know, I guess in the court of law, um, reasonable doubt that this has taken place, then he is lying to Rugby Australia Um saying that uh, there's nothing uh, in this report, that the article is, in fact, incorrect. If he's lying, then his position is untenable, if that has found out to be the case. Now, who knows whether we will ever find that out 100% correct uh, or, or we you know, we get um, evidence that is um, beyond what Tom has and we see um, exactly who it is, uh, whether it's photos of Eddie interviewing on um, one old fella at the the Wallaby House um, alleged that uh, there's this photographs of uh, this Zoom meeting taking place. Um, as I said, I don't doubt Tom's reporting for a second, um, but unless you know we get the clear evidence in the public domain, then it's basically another um, his word against the Heralds. So... Just how that plays out from a Rugby Australia perspective, both Hamish McLennan and Phil War have said that they can only take him on his word. Um, another article in the Herald today with Ian Payton saying that Hamish McLennan hasn't yet spoken to Eddie about it, which I find hard to believe, or if he hasn't, then, then what the hell has he been doing as the chairman? Um, but in terms, if we put that aside, I, I, I tend to agree with you and think that another coaching change probably doesn't do the game any good from a on-field perspective, from an off-field perspective, financially, the image. Um, what I would like to see instead is to, if the Rugby Australia are going to stick with Jones and they bring him in, they read in the, and ride act. And they lay down the law and say, mate, this is how it's going to be. Cut the carry on, cut the bullshit. Enough of the Will Skelton fiasco circus that we saw a week earlier. Have your fun at your press conferences, but just give it a, bit of a bloody rest mate like this is serious stuff now the game's on the line and if you don't pull your head in then we will boot you out the door Brucey tell us what you really think mate do you want a baseball bat Get mate I'm, 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 uh, that's 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 all I can give you that's the best I could give you well I thought you were wrapping up there uh, after the un un uh, no, no. You'd be you'd have to walk um oh I take a different perspective on a few of these things. And Simon Rowell, Louis, I thought, 
provided uh, I like Simon Rowell I think he's a lovely person I think he's a great coach but I think he's, he's, his Twitter game is on point at times and he said look there, there wouldn't be there would barely be an international coach out there that wouldn't be considering their options and wouldn't be actively doing that consistently even right the way through check it out on Twitter or X whatever it's called these days and I, I think what we need to know and what we need to find out is whether or not would Eddie Jones have taken the role? Does he need to take the role? Why was he doing it in the first place? Has there ever been a suggestion out of Japanese media today that he might be helping advise take, uh, the next uh, coach for the JRFU, whether or not he's helping advise that uh, process or, in fact, whether or not he's going to do it? We've got to also remember that Eddie Jones was fired by the ARU in 2005. Now, he was done that thinking that he was going to go through to 07, didn't he? So things change. I remember having a conversation with Eddie a few months ago, and he might have seen me have a couple of drinks with one or two people in particular, and he said, hey, um, you know, I might have the backing now, but things can quickly change. So I I don't mind the fact that Eddie Jones is, is speaking to other people. It's a terrible look, though. It's a horrendous look, and optics are a significant thing in this day and age, particularly when you're often judged by social media. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that, that absolutely. I, there's, there's no issue with him, like in any workplace. Um, uh, I know you've done it. Um, I've done it um, previously um, to get this job. I was clearly uh, employed by someone else at the time and I was negotiating for a better deal somewhere else. But once that is broken or once that news is out there, then to keep lying about it, I think. And if that's that's the allegation, right? That's That's the issue there for me. Just say, okay, yes, I did meet with the Japanese Rugby Football Union. I was helping. I was merely there to um, advise them on uh, the coach, on the next coach to replace Jamie Joseph. Um, they raised the um, option that I might be interested to return and I knocked them back and just knock it on the head there. Yeah, I, I think that's probably, probably fair. And he said... Many, uh, he was, from my understanding, uh, the Herald uh, went to the Rugby Australia manager, uh, comms manager, head of communications, and, and put a line of questioning, a list of questions that he decided not to answer those. So he could have perhaps got in front of it, but I, I dare say whatever he would have done, he would have been accused of some form of treason regardless. I, I still think, though, that this is beyond, to me, a bit of a coaching issue. The amount of intellectual property that's been lost from the game, particularly not just players, but coaches right across the landscape. Like, you know, 2019, for instance, Checkers Wallabies get bungled out in Oyster and against Eddie Jones' England, and they return back. Now, Simon Rowe, Louis doesn't know for two months whether RA want to keep him, want to have any further involvement with him. Mick Byrne uh, is kind of similar. Eventually, he gets a, an offer to go coaching the MOR. Um, there's too many cases of coaches being chewed up, spat out. We've been left with very, very few across the landscape now. You look at who would possibly be candidates to take over from Eddie, and it's very slim pickings. With, with proven international experience of major trophies right across the landscape. And Eddie Jones, I think, needed to... He came back in and, and might have had an idea of the potential of this side and thought maybe 
maybe I only need to put some polish on these guys and, and they'll quickly start to fire. He probably saw very quickly in Pretoria that, hey, this, this job might be harder. But I get the feeling like with very few, um, with a lot of coaches already locked and loaded, others like Dan McKellar deciding with the vacancy of the Leicester job popping up to take it, um, that he needed to do something quite different, which was, I don't have the players here who it's proven historically over the last eight years have virtually lost everything. Um, both at Super Rugby and at national perspective. But I don't have the coaches necessarily either because these are the guys that have been coaching these guys to, to, to failed seasons across the board. I need to do something completely different. And you know what? It's actually backfired in the most brutal way possible. But fair play to him maybe to, to, to uh, be innovative in his kind of ways. Two, two NRL coaches, two AFL coaches and a more coach who was a former halfback. He's he broke every rule and came back to bite him. But does that mean that a Shane rugby should throw this guy to the curve not to see him again? A guy that had a seventy three percent win record with England, obviously taking teams to World Cup finals, uh, had success pretty much everywhere. Are we saying that this guy has nothing to offer? Well, I don't know if people are saying he got nothing to offer, but I think that he's got much more to offer in a crucial period. Uh, is Dan McKellar ready to be parachuted back into the role, having just taken over at Leicester? Is Stephen Larkham ready, having not really ever delivered teams to finals or semi-finals, uh, or not consistently anyway? Is, is Michael Checker the right person to come back, having been thrown out four years ago? I I would think that let's let us see what can happen over the next 12 months, recess at the end of 2024, uh, because... Because I think that it would be, it potentially could do more damage than good to get rid of an Eddie Jones right now. Yeah, and, and I tend to agree with you. I, like, I think um, a stint away in England is probably the best thing for Dan McKellar, um, coaching in a different style of footy. Um, we saw last night just how Wales played and, and how well they played against an Australian side that last year came back from, what was it, 24 points down to beat them. And um, who earlier this year were an absolute rabble. And you've got to give a lot of credit to, to Warren Gatland and what he's done and coming back and, um, you know, how he has brought this team together in the space of, um, you know, uh, 10 months as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I just come back to the fact that if, you know, Eddie's continuing to lie, and this is all alleged, right? Uh, we we take the Herald um, reporting uh, at at its word, um, Jones can only deny it. But if it comes out one or the way or the other, and you know whether these screenshots do exist of this meeting, or you know there's some hard evidence of uh, you know an Eddie Jones interview or the brave Blossoms coaching role, and he's since been lying about it, then then I think that position becomes untenable. But on the flip side, um, I, I agree with you that making another coaching change um, now. Um, given that, you know, the code, okay, look, it hasn't worked here, this this reset, this look to the future. Um, you know, the players certainly um, seem to be united behind um, Jones. Will Skelton said that this morning, as you mentioned, uh, on on his media call. Um, we asked Tate McDermott, uh, Richie Arnold, um, who else was... And, and, a, a, Andrew Calloway. Yeah, Ang Angus Bell, these, these guys all uh, saying that, that they want Eddie... 
as their coach moving forward. So, um, look, it's going to be a fascinating space to watch clearly in the next week, uh, right through to the final. Um, you're going to be around here to the death, mate, so I'm sure um, we'll be getting plenty more left, right and centre. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's you know, it, it, as you said earlier, the, the bloodletting is going to continue for a little while yet. There's going to be a lot of fury and anger and frustration bubbling over um, amongst the Australian rugby community. And, and as we mentioned, the ramifications of this result moving forward could could be widespread um so it's it's you know it's it's far from done um just the day after yeah and let's even go back to 2007 new zealand uh once again go into a, like they do most world cups is, is is strong kind of either favorites or one of the premier sides 2007 they crash out quarterfinal they crashed out semi-final in both uh 99 and 2003 uh lost in uh, in, in in 95 in the final and don't even get to it in, in 91. And in 07, there was a serious crisis of confidence. And what did they do? They they said, no, we need to get closer. We need to be more aligned. We need to get the psychologists here. We need to change the mindset. We need to look at our pathways and our players that are between 14 and 18. I spoke to Mick Byrne today about well, some of those tough conversations. And he said, we went out and we targeted and we started getting um, uh, guys like Andrew Hall that were there, the former Waratahs CEO who's, who's been with the Blues most recently. We started getting the 100 best players in each of these provinces and these um, these areas and, and, and finding the best 30 of them. And those that missed out, we still gave them the tips and we tried to get them to where they could go to potentially develop to. But the top 30 from each of these areas, they, they end up spending time with the All Blacks and there needs to be much more of that with the Wallabies, uh, with the Cheyenne rugby. There needs to be more uh, Wallabies going out into the public, into schools, into mentorships, teenagers, so that when the next Joseph Sawalis come around, they have this deep connection with players that they go, you know what, well, we're going to go and become a Wallaby because we've been mentored by a Wallaby for a number of years and they have this kind of bond that's there and it doesn't mean you copy what New Zealand did. It doesn't mean you necessarily copy what Ireland did, but there needs to be so much more alignment with every aspect of the game. And that's the real challenge, finding these rugby solutions over the next 12 months and having a super big reset around it and the expectation. And and Sam, you were there with me in May, I think it was, and we went to, I think it was the Captain Cook Hotel in Paddington. And, and, and we've kind of touched upon it in the past with Eddie Jones, but he came in and pretty much immediately said, you know what, we're tier two. We've been winning uh, whatever percentage it was that he that he, that he he uh, ratted off at the time. But he said, that's tier two standard. And Australian rugby followers shouldn't be accepting of tier two, but they should be, uh, and they shouldn't settle on that, but they should actually kind of go, well, hang on a moment. How have our results over the last eight years um, suggested that we should be semi-finalists or finalists kind of contenders and what do we need to do because I don't think and I've already said it I don't think that getting rid of another coach which is proven record is necessarily the right thing to do no, no and you know I'm sure there's there's going to be just as many people out there who agree with you as those who don't um, but um, I mean look it's it's what are we six days out now we're recording this Monday afternoon Um uh, French time, you're, I was about to say Paris, we're not in Paris. Um, 
and they've got one more game to go against Portugal on, on Sunday. Um, Do they? As, as you wouldn't know it. Uh, well, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of them probably would love to jump on a plane now and and come home and and just kind of crawl up into a uh, a deep dark hole in their room for a while. But um, look, it's it's still an important fixture. Um, as we mentioned, I, I I don't for a second think that Fiji are going to capitulate to both Georgia and and Portugal themselves over the next couple of weeks and excited to actually see how they might come up against England in a quarterfinal in a few weeks' time. Um, but how do you expect Eddie to play, um, I guess, selection this week? Um, do you see guys like uh, Izzy Parisi, or Josh Kemeny, um, who else have, you know, a start for... Um, who else are with Lange Gleeson, perhaps uh, Isaac Fines, Lela Wasa. Um, what do you see around selection? Do you think um, for next Sunday's game against Portugal? Yeah, I think they'll be, and, and we heard we'll talk about it today. There'll be probably a day of kicking some stones and and not feeling great about each other. But then there will be the exuberance of players that haven't had that opportunity kind of come to the fore, and and those guys that you made mention of. I think they'll all. I think they'll all play some, uh, maybe not necessarily to start, but even a Robbie Valentini, a guy that's just emptied the tank this year, maybe he does get a spell and he go, thanks so much, Rob. Um, it's now it's it's now an opportunity for the for, for Langy to kind of get that, that crack and, and certainly a Josh Kemeny, whose rig's incredibly impressive when he's by a pool uh, that we've seen once or twice uh, on their recovery days. Um Oh, I think that it'll be easy for them to get up to uh, get up for, and it's an important one because you, you can't approach this test as a foregone conclusion. I think they'll win, and they should win well, regardless. But but it's an important one for Eddie Jones, the Wallabies, to get them back on track and and deliver some hope and I mean, go out there and play for their families and their friends. The, the, the tens of thousands of fans that have come over, and we got to see that in the crowd in Leon. On, on, on Sunday evening, he, that that national anthem, and the rendition there was was great. It was the first time for a long time I'd, I'd heard the uh, national anthem sung by many. It kind of almost felt like we were at, at uh, Millennium Stadium there in Cardiff, and it was under the roof, and it was loud. And I, I think for that reason, they'll get up for the game pretty well. Yeah, yes, so, so do I. Um, you know, as, as you said, there'll be some soul searching the next couple of days. Um, I, I don't think they can play anywhere near that badly again. Like, I, I think it's probably impossible to be that bad for a professional rugby team to be that bad two weeks running. Um, interesting to see what he does at, at number 10 um, in terms of going back to a Carter Gordon or sticking with Ben Donaldson. Um, that's probably the biggest selection decision there um and, and who might be better served by playing this week and and who might not um what about i guess guys you know some of the guys that, that were left behind then um i haven't been able to watch the, the stand sport coverage over here but certainly michael hooper by reports has been a very welcomed addition um like you know i've seen the word class used in terms of how he's conducted himself with dignity while giving an opinion and not you know clearly um, lighting them up, if you like, for uh, his non-selection. Uh, Bernard Foley came out last night and tweeted, it didn't have to be that way. Um, again, I, I think Bernie's that was a level of frustration, but he's not a guy who's going to come out and, and get stuck into the guys, kick them while they're down. Um, 
I guess to to put a bow on on this, you know, um, the emissions of those guys. Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing, as as we always say. But um, was it uh, was it a mistake to not bring at least say one of those playmakers and, and at least have Michael Michael Hooper in the squad, particularly when other guys with injuries are brought along and and given what happened with say Max Jorgensen, who that, that's probably the decision I think that you know stands out for me as as the worst of the lot. Um, a kid that's still got some growing to do, had had his Super Rugby season missed, um, sorry, ended two-thirds of the way through um, by injury, um, was only really ever due to play potentially this last game against Portugal. Great experience for him whatsoever. I'm sorry, absolutely. Um, but that's probably the one that sticks out for me. And, and as I've said all along, I think I certainly would have bought at least one experienced backup playmaker. Yeah, I think that my understanding is that Max Jorgensen would have played against Wales if he was fit. And uh, he was very close to playing against Fiji, but he was given another week. Uh, I think Eddie Jones had every intention to play him uh, and recognise that this is a very, very good player. I, I was privy to some information regarding what Will Skelton described Max Jorgensen as being a freak and a very, very good player. And when some guys like that recognise how good he is and how talented he is, then you go, okay, well, yeah, Eddie has seen it. We know that there's been other players that have uh, emerged from the world uh, scale and succeeded. Um, for me, probably Lenny Katow, uh, not taking him was the surprise out of all of it. Um, and and uh, not starting Andrew Callaway at full back to begin with, I think, was the other one. I understand that Ben Donaldson kicked well and he took his chances against Georgia, but I, I just thought that they got that decision wrong from the outset uh, it would have just allowed to have you know, the two contenders there really fighting for it really driving the competition there I take your point I think probably one of those more experienced tens could have been there and if not one of the more experienced tens someone like a Jack Debris singing who's played a lot of rugby over uh, you know eight nine years of professional rugby rather than a few and he's still got quite a few years to give and um, Maybe even having a James O'Connor in the environment, he got injured uh, for the Barbarian, so he wouldn't have been in the frame against uh, Wales at least. Um, but yeah, it 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 leaves you going. Well, what could have they done? I still don't think that they would have been able to reach a final. They might have been able to win a quarterfinal potentially with some of those older players there. But uh, that that's probably going to be the judgment of of. First with the Rugby Australia board, and if not the Rugby Australia board, the, the, the states and whether or not they agree. And if they don't, they'll be proven correct. And we're going to see, you know, some some tens. Um, you know, Noel Olaseo is probably the forgotten man in, in all of this, isn't he? Um, yeah. He's been over here, I think, on a, what do they call the Joker deals or the short-term deals, World Cup Jokers, um, with Toulon, I think. Um You've got Rajan Pazatoa is going to be coming back from injury at the force where Ben Donaldson is heading. Um, you expect that Tane Edmed will get first crack for the Waratahs next year at 10. Will Harrison, where's he at after another injury? Uh, Lawson Crichton in Queensland. Um, yeah. Tom Liner. Yeah, coming through. Pazatoa, there's, there's a number of them that are coming through. There is. So, look, it's, it's going to clearly move into this, you know, a, a full spread of, you know, this next generation and 
in Aussie tens and, and as you say, perhaps them driving each other over the next few years towards 2025 and, and 2027 will bring out the best of them and, and, and maybe we'll all look back on this game, on this period for, for Carter Gordon and think, you know what, yeah, geez, it was hard yakker at the time, but um, Eddie was right and it was uh, it has been the making of him. Um, of course, uh, we won't know until that all plays out in the coming years, mate, and, and it's a fair way off. Uh, we've still got a lot of work to get done uh, this week um, and next. Um, just uh, a, a cracking tournament. Um, otherwise, I, I think the the Island-South Africa game just showed the difference or the golfing class between probably the, the top three or four. Um, I, I'm not sure whether New Zealand can play to that level. Um, but um, if, if that was a preview of the final, if we get that game again, um, on that last weekend of, of October, I think we'll be pretty happy, right? Oh, uh, won't we ever. And, and that was a, a cracking test match, which had a fair bit of everything. It wasn't necessarily the most skillful of games at times, given the Ireland, Ireland's struggles at the line-out. But uh, and it's it's funny, even New Zealand rugby kicking, going, hang on, how how did we let Jamison Gibson park or the James Lowe's or the Bundyakis? You know, what New Zealand rugby would do for a Bundyaki at the moment? Um, to, to replace and fill the, the boots of Manono. Oh, I tend to agree. I think uh, that was a phenomenal test. Whether or not it's... We, we've got an idea of what the quarterfinals are going to be looking like now, don't we? We're going to have uh, more than likely Ireland against New Zealand. Ireland perhaps hope, would have hoped for that. Then. And who, who wants to play New Zealand? But given their recent success over the last five years against the All Blacks, they will look at that matchup and go, that's one that we can win. Uh, France and South Africa will be a belter, it will be a clash of two ridiculously physical packs. Hopefully Antoine Dupont is back. We're all watching on, on Dupont watch whether or not he'll be back following his uh, his fractured cheekbone, I think it was. Or looking at, or, look, or yeah, it's, it had some fancy name, didn't it? Um, but looking at getting a, a mask, a custom-made mask, um, I think it was Rugby Rama or maybe Lakeep, um, reported this afternoon, which can only be sort of a maximum five millimetres thick. So, um, yeah, you, you see them sometimes in the NBA, don't you? The guys wearing um, sort of face um, shields or, um, you know, I don't know what you'd call them, cheek protectors, cheek guards. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a watch that space. Um, but he's he's got a couple of, t- couple of weeks to at least kind of, uh, you know, withdraw from contact. Um, and then, yeah, whether we see him in that quarter, whether they would risk him for a quarter, um, just to ensure that they, you know, they, they did get through. Um, there's no guarantees whatsoever given the, the opposition they're going to be facing. Um, or do you hold him back in the, in the hope that they do get through, um, for a semi with that extra week up his sleeve? Yeah, I think they would take him and take the risk every day of the week. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's what you've got to run. And they ran the gauntlet against Namibia, didn't they? And unfortunately it didn't work out early in the second half when he cops that really high shot, um, but even on, on, on the other side of the draw, uh, it looks like it will be a potentially Fiji up against England, perhaps Argentina against Wales, given that Argentina beat Samoa. They played poorly, but that's an important win. It'll come down to the last game there against Japan, you would imagine, um, just to confirm their position into the last eight. But it's an engrossing tournament. Uh, even Portugal and Georgia, a cracking test there, a draw. Great results. We're seeing the emergence of Chile. Chile up against Argentina. Michael Checkers um, 
Los Pumas and the Battle of the South Americans there, uh, the Portugal, the rise, and we saw Australia beat them, or I saw them beat uh, Australia, Australia beat Portugal in Paris about three or four weeks ago now, but the Portuguese have shown something, they're growing all the time, they're showing the emergence of European rugby, and and it was funny that Australia A-side, you, you kind of asked the question, whether well, the Australia A-side beat this ball with his team at the moment, without Skelton, without Tupo, without Alan Alatoa, they they were every chance, but um, the and that'll be a good game, and I'm really excited to be around it. I think it will still be a lively atmosphere in Zanetian. Absolutely, and, you know, Wallabies fans um, who've, who've made the trip, I know some will be going home after this um, this Fiji-Wales run, but um, some other people probably would have done the Wales-Portugal and, and banked on them being in a quarterfinal, which which isn't going to be the case. Um, so there's going to be some disappointed fans probably even rocking up just for the quarterfinal stage, but that is World Cup rugby for you, uh, anything can happen. Uh, right, mate. I think that's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, I, it's, uh, well, I know I got to bed about 4am this morning. I think you were pretty similar as well after a, a drive back down, um, whatever motorway it is to, to St. Etienne, um, no doubt you'll be, uh, rewarding yourself with a rosé or two tonight. Bruce, I picked up a bottle of rosé this afternoon. I haven't opened it. I didn't have a drink last night, but Put it into perspective, the game kicked off last night at 9 o'clock, Sunday evening local time. Finishes at 11. The presser wraps up just after midnight. Mick Sion wrapping up at 12.40. And then you've got to start writing a couple more stories. The match reports are done, of course, but you've got to add some quotes and the rest of it. So there's a fair bit that goes uh, into reporting a game, particularly when it finishes as late as it does. Please never again world rugby, but... Uh, you're not going to complain because in this beautiful sunshine, uh, a glass of rosé from the Provence region is going to go just down perfectly. Yeah, I'll have to go and find something similar. Um, it is a glorious uh, evening here in Lyon as well. And um, yes, uh, if you're waking up to in Australia tomorrow morning when you might, a lot of you be hearing this pod, I hope you're having a, a glorious day or at least a better one than potentially Monday was to start the week. Um, it's, it's a feeling of a fair bit of despair, but, um, you know, it'll hopefully improve through the remainder of the week and, um, reward yourself with a, a little drink or whatever your particular poison is to, to numb the pain. I can guarantee you'll have a better coffee than what we've really experienced right the way through this tour. And, and look, if you're an, a coffee barista, maker, lover, want to start something over here, seriously, get to France, open up your own coffee company, uh, because the French need some help. Do they what? Do they what? They might <laughs> need as much help as the Wallabies this week. Um, all right. That's it. That's a wrap team. Uh, as ever, shout us out on the socials. Let us know what you're thinking. Love to hear from you. Um, we'll, uh, we'll bring you everything in the build up to Portugal, uh, Christie's work at the raw and everything else on ESPN.com.au. In the meantime, um, try not to be too down, uh, keep the faith, whatever it is. Um, just, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a dark day and, um, hopefully around the corner, there might be some brighter times. Cheers. Cheers.